Well, go back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We have the fifth commandment in front of us. The fifth commandment. And he says here, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God has given you. This is the word of God. It is the lamp unto our feet and it is the light unto our path. It is the key to the kingdom of heaven, our comfort in affliction, the shield and sword against Satan. It is the school of all wisdom, the glass wherein we behold God's face and the testimony of His favor and the only food that nourishes our soul. For as the grass withers and the flowers fade, the Word of God will stand forever. In this passage of Scripture, you see the relationship of the first horizontal commandment Honor your father and mother in relation to the four vertical commandments relating to our relationship with God. And you will notice that the first commandment and the fifth commandment start with the same word, honor, honor. And so in this text, you could even surmise from looking at it, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Well, if you go down here and you start looking at what the Scripture says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That is speaking of reverencing, of honoring God. You shall not make for yourselves idols or any likeness of what is in heaven above or the earth or beneath the earth or under the earth. You're only given your parents. You're only given those things that are very specific to you. And in God's economy, God is the authority on earth. The parents are the authority. The first four commandments deal with the otherworldly. The fifth through the tenth deal with this world. The ruler of one and the ruler of this. And then you see here, you shall not make yourselves idols or any likeness in heaven on the earth beneath. And then you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous. And then he says in the seventh one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And we learned that... God is to be revealed by the Word of God. He's to be revealed by what we hear, not by what we think He looks like. And so one would say, well, I have an image of God or I have a painting of God or I have something of God in my home or a house of worship. And we explained all of this and we would say that God has made it very clear you're not to worship an image. And you say, well, I'm not worshiping an image. Well, that's right. But if you take the third commandment and says, I'm assigning the name of God to that image, You have taken His name in vain. God is not to be perceived by sight or represented by sight. One of the reasons this is so important is because everyone in the society at which these commands were given around them had an idol. 
And then the last of all, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, and it shall not, you, in it you shall not do any work, and so forth and so on. And so when we finished the last time we talked about these things, I showed you that the true test of whether or not you believe and ascribe to the first, second, and third commandment is how you deal with the fourth. Because you can't say, I'm resting. You have to either rest or not rest. And God has commanded it, not as a burden, but as a grace. And the simple commandment is, take a day, not one-seventh of seven days, take a day unto the Lord and keep it holy for Him. That, is, that has not been changed in the New Testament. There is, and, and to sit there and argue with it is then to go back and revert to the third commandment and take His name in vain because it would be saying God doesn't say that because we live in the age of grace. Listen to me. Jesus Christ observed the Sabbath and there is no place in all the teachings of Jesus that He ever said that the Ten Commandments ceased. When He came, died, resurrected, ascend, and comes again. Not one jot or tittle shall be done. And he said it is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is where now we come to our relationship with people in the world. Now before I came in here, I, was, I finished this morning at 9 o'clock from all the writing and preparation, the printing, everything, the lit liturgy, all of it I finished, and I sat back there in the blue chairs and I read a sermon on the fifth commandment by one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Ligon Duncan III. And it was delivered in 2019. Brilliant scholar, a magnificent man of God, eighth generation faithful preacher, a family of prophets. And he's just a magnificent man. And uh, I read his sermon, and his sermon was all about children honoring their parents. I want you to know this morning, that is not at all what I'm going to teach you out of the fifth commandment. I'm going to show you something this morning that is far different, that is going to far more hit close to home to you than that, whether your parents are living or they're dead. And so let me begin by saying this. I'm going to show you in a moment, after I describe to you what the people that heard this commandment heard at the mountain as it was thundering. I'm going to describe to you how you literally make it impossible to obey this command. And I'm going to give you 10 points for one and 13 for another. And I'm not going to give you the Bible verses because I'm going to try to get you finished faster than normal. And if you want it, you're just going to have to ask me to Xerox this for you. And Kayleen's sitting right next to it, and I don't mind. So let me begin by this. What does the fifth commandment say? What does it say? if you are a Hebrew hearing it at the foot of the mountain when Moses delivers it. What does it say? It says, Honor your father and your mother 
that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. I want you to remember this. It wasn't until I came to the journey that I realized something. The church was never, ever given for the community. The community was given for the church. Gainesville, Cook County, Era, Myra, Munster even, Lindsay, Woodbine, they're for us. We're not for them. God has given us the land. And when He is telling them this, He's saying the land which I have given you. Not, I have given you, I have, I, the land I have given you to it. He says, I've given it. This covenant has not changed. This is our earth. It is our dominion here. It goes all the way back to the creation. Amen? I know that will take some thought on your part, and that's fine. But the Bible says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God giveth thee. We even sing it, This land is your land, this land is my land. However the rest it goes, I cannot remember. Because it's been a long time. But who is meant, and this is the new thing, this is the new thing to many of you. What is he meaning when God says here, Father and Mother? What does he mean? How would this apply to somebody in the nation of Israel at the given time of the commandments if their mother and father had died? Would it mean then that this command no longer matters? Surely it could not mean that. God does not make exceptions. It has to mean something. And so what is he doing when he uses the word father and mother? Well, by father and mother, listen, in the fifth commandment, it is not just speaking of natural parents. It is not just speaking of natural parents. It is speaking of this, write this down, it is speaking of all who are in superior positions to you and their gifts. Those who are superior in position to you and their gifts, especially such as by God's ordinances, like what is an ordinance of God, the government, the civil authority, are over us in a place of authority, whether in the family, in the church, or in the commonwealth. Isn't that interesting? I was sitting at, it was Tuesday, when I was sitting there on my computer looking at the Hebrew, and this hit me like a bolt of lightning there at table 211. I asked him today if I could buy that table because it saved me money. I could put it in my study and get the same and just stay, at the, stay in my study. Just kidding. But I did ask him if I could buy it. Brothers and sisters, that's not your father's Oldsmobile, what I just told you. This is why, this, this is why it made so much relevant sense 
there at the bottom of the mountain. You honor not only your natural parents, but you honor those who are an authority over you and the gifts that they have because they have been placed in authority over you for your benefit. As God goes on to say in the commandment, for this I have given you the land. Alright? So far so good? Well, why are superiors styled then as fathers and mothers? Why couldn't he just say that? Well, the very first relationship we must honor is our parents. But that's not the only one. That's not the only one. Superiors here are styled fathers and mothers to teach the people, God's covenant people, to teach them all the duties towards, listen, listen to me, to teach them all their duties towards their inferiors. What? Make up your mind. No, 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 no. Watch. He is styled this way to teach them in all their duties towards their inferiors, like natural parents to express love and tenderness to those behind them, to, according to their several relations, to work inferiors to a greater willingness and cheerfulness in performing their duties. Do you understand who the command is to? He is saying this, the commandment is to us. What are we? We are the inferiors. And we are to what? Honor those who are in authority above us and honor their gifts, whether they be by family, the church, or the commonwealth, the government. Is this not what Jesus taught? Is this not what Jesus did laying down His life for His friends? Is this not what Jesus did in Luke chapter 2 when He went to the temple at the time of dedication? He didn't disrespect His parents when they asked Him, Why are you here? And said, I'm in my Father's house. They knew that. He knew that. He was not disrespectful. Even on the cross, what did He do? As the only son of Mary, what did He do? On the cross, He took care of her on the cross. He said, well, He called her woman. I would never call my wife woman. On our honeymoon night, I went, whoa, man! But I've never called her woman since. Some of you don't understand. It's all right. I'll just stay boring. It expresses the love and tenderness towards them. So I want you to think about this. If I'm the inferior that this scripture is speaking to, honor your father and mother, honor those in authority over you and those who have gifts over you that you may live long and dwell in the land you have been given, then it teaches me how to honor them, but it also teaches how I am to treat those who honor me. I said, I never thought that was in the Ten Commandments. That's in the Ten Commandments. That's exactly how they understood it when Moses said it. This is why sometimes I do wish we all could speak in that native tongue, in that native culture. But if we did, we wouldn't have air conditioning and we wouldn't have running water. So thank God we have English. Amen? 
And so there is this willingness and this cheerfulness to perform their duties to their superiors as you would your parents. You say, well, I had lousy parents. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You may have had lousy parents, but there's no one in this room that's not under the authority of someone else. Not one of you. Both on this world and in the world to come. There's no one in here. You can say all you want, Joe Biden's not your president, but he's the president of the United States. And as far as this church's position on that is, we will ascribe worthy, godly prayers for that man because he is entitled to no less. Why? The fifth commandment. He has authority. Care Grace and Truett can tell you about the day standing behind the National Treasury when we saw Barack Obama come out in his limo. We eyeball to eyeball with the man. It had nothing to do with the color of his skin. It had nothing to do with the party of his politics. We were looking at the President of the United States and it's given me chill bumps thinking about it now. It was awesome because there was the most powerful man on earth and he was ours. And when I have been to Simi Valley and I have been to the Reagan National Library, I can tell you this. Few places in the world have moved me as much as Israel has with the exception of the Reagan National Library. There is something magnificent about it, but it's America. Washington, D.C. is my favorite city on the planet. I hope to go there soon. It's been two years. I've been absent. I love D.C. because it's America. And everyone there gets along just fine. It's those criminals in the Congress that have the problem. Now, I shouldn't have said that. I just digressed terribly. I was doing really good, and I shouldn't have said that. So we'll edit that out whenever we start editing sermons. What is the general scope of the fifth commandment? Write it down. The general scope of the fifth commandment is the performance of those duties which we mutually owe in our several relations, both as inferiors, superiors, and equals. The fifth commandment teaches us that the performance of our duties which we owe of our many relationships to those in superiority to us, those in inferiority to us, and those in equality to us. And it tells us this, we are to honor people. So let me show you something. The first three commandments cannot be legitimately demonstrated in your life if you don't observe the fourth. or the fifth, or the fifth. Let me explain to you this for a moment. Let me explain it to you, okay? We all want to be godly, don't we? Yes? We all want people, we want to, if we were taken to trial, we want to be convicted of being the children of God, do we not? Especially if we were tried by 12 born-again Christians. Let's just say the 11 apostles plus Matthias was there. We want to be convicted of we really are the real deal. 
And if they take the journey sheep over there, I hope they say, you know what? They're a little bit fat too. Because one thing is about it, James, he doesn't raise starving sheep. But only those sheep that are starving are the ones that won't eat. Right? What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? How does this commandment... My parents are dead. I can't go set some things right with them. They're gone. How can I honor them? This isn't talking about a memory. This is talking about where I live. How do I honor the judge that I see in the grocery store at Walmart? Hello, judge. I don't go up and say, hey, Janelle, how's it going? Judge. My neighbors, the county judge at law. John. No, he's judge. He's a Red Raider. Doesn't matter. He's judge. Larry. Well, he's just Larry. But I call him counselor. And sometimes I call him judge. And sometimes he's the chief prosecutor, too, of me. What does it mean to honor your inferiors, or what does it mean to honor? Write these down. It means to show due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. It means to show due reverence of heart, word, and behavior. It means to have prayer and thanksgiving for them. One of the neat things to do when you go to Washington, D.C., especially in the early fall, is to sit on the mall. The mall is not a place where you shop. The mall is what runs between the Capitol and the Washington Monument. It's long and big. And you sit on a park bench and you can watch a Marine Corps battalion come by. Model it for down, pray for the gas! And they're, they're coming by and you almost want to stand up and salute, but you wouldn't do that because it would probably knock you over. Um, you see the Army, you see the Coast Guard and the Navy, you see these guys, you see the military, you see that Air Force One and, or a Marine One and all that stuff flying above. You see all of that stuff. You're thankful for it. There's, it gives you the willies. It's exciting. You're thankful for them. They stand on the wall where no one else will. You give prayer and thanksgiving for them. There's the imitation of their virtues and their graces of your superior, those whom God has put in superiority over you, you should, they should have some graces that you're willing to emulate, some virtues. There's another one. There's a willing obedience to lawful commands and counsels. Lawful commands and counsels. Back when COVID broke out in this county and they shut us all down, we didn't know what COVID was yet. At that time, it was a lawful command for them to say that the houses of worship should not meet and it was a lawful command. We had the total ability to go broadcast it through the World Wide Web, and so it made sense. I'm not so sure today if it would be a lawful command now, knowing what we know. But we know where we live. And so there was no point in being unwilling to follow a lawful command. And when people asked me about it, I said, and they didn't like the answer, I said, there is, is not an immoral command. It is a lawful command of those who are superior over us. There is, needs to be due submission to correction. Due submission to correction. Now listen to this one. There needs to be fidelity. There needs to be fidelity to and defense and the maintenance of that person and that person's authority. 
I believe with all of my heart that deep down inside, having not ever known this, but always having had a different spirit to be and to do what I do today, is the reason I will not sit and listen to people run down our leaders regardless if they deserve to be run over. They are entitled because after all, the sovereignty of God says, I set them up, I take them out. God takes care of His people and He will take care of those who don't. Write that down. And here is the last one. What does it mean to honor them as inferiors? It means to bear with their infirmities. To bear with their infirmities, covering them with love so that they may be an honor to them and to their government. That you may be an honor to them and an honor to your government. He said, that's the fifth commandment. That's the fifth commandment. So what are the sins of inferiors against their superiors. The list is not that long. Let me just give them to you and then I'm going to show you the biggest hindrance to you observing the fifth commandment. will surprise you. What are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? Here it is. To neglect the duty that is required of you. If your boss says jump, then you jump. That is not an unlawful command. But this one's a little harder. Envying. Having contempt of or rebellion against their person. Envying, contempt of, and rebellion against their persons and places in, this, in their lawful counsel commands and corrections. This week, if you'll notice in Washington, somebody that's delivered some victories to one side that we celebrate changed the whole court, the Supreme Court, because of his vote. This week, he voted to do something that's called Build Back Terrible. Total switch. Tax and spend. And I, and I remember when the thing happened that he got a Supreme Court justice through, I said, everybody's loving this fellow right now. Why doesn't he just go ahead and switch parties? The other day's the reason he hadn't switched parties, and I hope he doesn't. Because he's going to be buried with it. A new, a new bill that's going to tax all of us. But that doesn't mean I'm going to curse him and I'm going to mock him. God is still in control. God has His authority. There's cursings, mockings, and all refractory and scandalous sayings of people. Listen, I'm not, don't. I'm not going to say it. When you do that, I just want you to understand this. You're not proving that person a shame. You're proving yourself a shame. And when you do that as a believer, you're proving yourself that you don't believe the first commandment, the second one, the third one, you're certainly not observing the fourth one because you can't even get the fifth one right. See, all it needs the moral law. 
And that's just love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God with all of your heart, then you're going to do what God says. And you can't just say it. You've got to do it. So, let me just tell you this. The summation of the fifth commandment is simply this. If you will honor those in authority over you in their giftedness and in their position, you will be serving for God's glory and you will be receiving His good for it. That's why you do it. Now, let me tell you why you won't. Let me tell you the reasons, the number one reason, and two, three, four, and five, six reason, just the number one reason why you cannot faithfully observe the fifth commandment, much less the first, second, third, and fourth. It will be simply because you and I have not stopped loving the world. What is the world? If you don't stop loving the world, then you cannot, then you, God cannot, you can, man cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon's the world. What does it mean to stop loving the world? Well, we need to know what the world is. Well, of course, it's, it's the heavens and the earth, but we also know that it is the customs, the manners, the worships, and the fashions of the day. That's the world. The customs, the manners, the worship and fashions of the world. It's the, it's the pomp and the splendor. You want to notice this, I'll show it to you. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians 6, 14. Look what he says. The Apostle Paul, he says, But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom which the world has been crucified to me, and I also to the world. And then over here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says something else. He he says right here, he says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Demas left Paul. He left Paul's teaching. He left Paul's example. He left Paul's way. How many people do you know that have left? Because they love the world. So what is the love of the world? I'm going to give you ten things. Just write them down. This is not hard. I want you to know what is the love of the world. Number one, it is to highly esteem it. To love the world is to highly esteem it. Number two, to love the world means that your mind is taken up, is taken up on it. Your mind is fixed on it. Whatever it is, the news, the almanac, the crop report, the price of gold, airplanes, whatever it is. It's what your mind, golf, whatever your mind's fixed upon. Number three, 
To love the world is to desire the world, to be united with it. It's to desire it. Houses and land. More houses and land. More land. Number four, setting the heart on it. This is Psalm 62 verse 10. Setting the heart upon the world. When we say the heart that you set, that's what, that's what get, affects your emotions, whether you become worried, concerned, or happy, or unsettled, or you know, excited, whatever it is. Number five, what is the love of the world? It's to employ most of our strength on it. To employ most of our strength on the world. Number six, it's to watch for opportunities and occasions to get the world or to get more of it. To watch for opportunities and, and occasions to get more. Now this one is scary. This one I'm going to read you from the Bible. These are all from the Bible. Psalm 107. Verses 23 through 27, and then I'll give it to you in sentence form. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up stormy winds, which lifted up the waves to the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their souls melted away in their misery. They reeled and straggled like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Ladies and gentlemen, what is it to love the world? Number seven, it's to endure anything for it. To endure anything for it. Now I think of the TV show Deadliest Catch. Those men go out there and they catch those crabs for three months and they make four times amount in salary than I could make in six years in that time of three months. But that's when crab season is done. They die or get maimed or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about. You're in, you'll endure the loss of your own personal integrity. You'll endure your, the loss of your own honesty. You will endure forsaking the name of God, the violation of the first five commandments, to endure it for the world. Did Jesus not say what profited a man that he gained the whole world and yet loses? So, remember that word, so. We're going to come back to it. Number eight, to favor the world the most. Isaiah 58, 13. You want to know where you can see this? You can actually see this. Favor the world the most. You know where you can see this? In your conversations. What do you talk about? Whatever you talk about, you can see it. Number nine, to mourn and lament for the things of the world taken from you. That can be your estate. That can be your name. That can be your friends. That can be your relationships. To mourn and lament for the things of this world taken from you. And last of all, what is it to love the world it is resolved to be secure and the will to have what you want one way or another. 
It is resolved to be secure by your own hand. Y'all remember Y2K? I wish I owned stock in a generator company. Or water containers. Or non-flushable toilets. Composting toilets. People lost their minds. I lived in Euless. That night I was hired at First Baptist Euless for my first job as a minister at Y2K. Boy, I tell you, that lightning did strike. People lost their minds. Y2K. And since then, we've been through every, everything. And folks, right now, I just saw a deal about monkeypox the other day. You know what? I'm not worried about those. I'll tell you why. Because I used to wear Crocs. And the reason I don't wear Crocs anymore is because when the sun beats down, you have crock pots if you've been outside. So I'm not worried about it. I mean, I think soon we're going to have the emu flu. You know, the paper this week said COVID's coming back, or it said that last week, and then somebody wrote an article to the paper saying, you need to pull that lady out of, out of circulation. She doesn't need to be able to speak. What, since when could we not talk? But see, that's all conversation based on the world. He who is in you has overcome the world. And all He says to you is, Honor me, don't take my name in vain, do not worship me. Rest, would you please, and honor your superiors for you. Give glory to me and it makes good things for you. No, I'm going to love the world. I'm going to esteem the world. I'm going to desire it. I'm going to set my heart on it. I'm going to be responsible and make sure nobody's taking care of me. That's why you will not follow the commandments. It's the love of the world. That is the love of the world. Well, let me tell you the dangers of it. There's 13. That's all I could come up with real quick. And then I'm going to show you the gospel. I'm going to show you the gospel. Let me give you the reasons for not loving the world. I want to give you the reasons you shouldn't do it. Number one, you have a higher calling. You have a higher calling. You should run towards grace and the other world that calls you. Run towards grace. You have a higher calling. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That was last week's message. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Number two, to love the world, one of the reasons you shouldn't do it, it's completely unreasonable. It is unreasonable. You know why? Because it directs you to the uncertain. Loving the world isn't going to direct you to certainty. It directs you to uncertainty. You cannot keep it without fear of losing it. You cannot keep anything of this world without fear of losing it. And keeping things are never going to satisfy you. You'll never be satisfied with what you keep. And it will direct you towards the worst things, never the best. That's why it's unreasonable. Number three... Why, it's scandalous. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, then verse 2, then verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. 
holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Verse 2, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Hello! Disobedience to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 4, Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, don't tell me the Bible doesn't confirm itself. That, by the way, is what the back of your bulletin's about, is the perspicuity of Scripture. Don't read it now, but it's for you later. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul. It's scandalous. Number four, it's idolatrous. Did you know in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that a coveter is an idolater? That's a, no, that can't be that. We're in the age of grace. <coughs> that has nothing to do with it. We live in an age where those are in Christ in grace, and most are not. They're in an age of law, and hell's coming. And hell's coming. It's dangerous. Listen, let me give you a couple reasons why it's dangerous. Because you're going, to grow, you're going to grow little by little to be a stranger to the truths of God. That's why when we start watching you miss church, we start watching you miss. And I've about decided that it's now time for me to start chasing. And that's going to make you mad because I'm not going to come chasing with a, with a bouquet of flowers. I'm going to come with this sword. Why are you missing church? Why are you not coming? You think church is optional? It's not. The people of God don't give up worshiping together. Now, I will tell you this, there's plenty that will say they do, but you know what? I'm not interested in arguments anymore with those folks. This says it, and that settles it. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I understand if you can't come because of health issues and all of that kind of stuff. And you say, well, why do you want us to come here? Because the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I know one thing, for the hour you're here, you're going to get nothing but the Bible. And that's going to do something good for you. I can't tell you the last time I ate a piece of Gene's pie, but I know it was good. I don't remember what Kelly put on the table in front of me last Wednesday a week ago, but I know it was good for me. We grow, uh, we grow annoyed with the we grow um, acquainted with the world's ways and worldliness. Oh, I just, I just don't need church anymore. We have family like that. It breaks our heart. I mean, it doesn't make me mad. It breaks my heart. But the the problem is, they go to church. They don't go to worship. And I think the real issue is, is they can't worship because they're really not part of the church. The times are telling. And it does this, it exposes us to various temptations and snares that are hurtful. It is dangerous. Number six, it deals with the impossible. If you love the world, you are playing with the impossible. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot have two masters. You can't do it. You can't love golf on Sunday and worship on Sunday. I'm sorry, you can't do it. You may have all the pedigree in the world and know everybody that's important, but you can't do it. It's His day. 
I was talking to somebody the other day on how to end abortion in America. This is how you can do it. Criminalize premarital sex. And that'll take care of the problem. You will see abortion drop in this country by 99%. But that'll never happen. But it's interesting, I'll deal with that one on the next commandment. Don't want to get in front of myself. Number seven, it makes God our enemy. It makes God our enemy. Just go read Psalm chapter 10, verse 3. Number eight, it's a waste of time to love the world. Those who love the world are worth more than the world. Listen to me. You say, James, you're being negative. Listen to me. You are worth more than the world. You are worth more than the world. When this hairy-legged boy showed up at my house to take her out, only thing I cared about was two things. Did he like Star Wars? And was he worth it? No, there's a lot more than that. Did he know Christ? And those things. Because she's worth more than for me just to give her away. I tell him often, I gave you my treasure. And he has responded to me in our own private little text that we have. You don't know that. I'm taking care of your treasure. No, she's your treasure now. By the way, she's now a third grade school teacher. God hired by Watchboro. We need to pray for them. She's a preacher's kid. Those who love the world are worth more than the world. And you are giving that for the world which is better, that which is better than the world. Why would you give yourself to something that you're better than? Number nine, it debases our understanding. I said, remember the soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I said, remember it. Listen to this. The most noble faculty God has given your soul is understanding. That is the most noble faculty is understanding. It's not the why, it's the how. The soul becomes what it loves. Write it down. This is a truth. The soul becomes what it loves. What you love is what your soul will become. And if it's the world, then you will be worldly. Number 10, it is utterly destructive. Do you realize the world's nature is damning and it is damned? It will be destroyed. To love the world is destructive. Do you realize that in the New Testament, in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, the scribes and the Pharisees left Jesus Christ, whom they had studied all throughout school to know who He was because their reputation among men was more important. It's totally destructive. Number 11, it is hostile to godliness. It's hostile to godliness. The world is where 
the devil enslaves men. Number 12, it is the devil's trap. It is the devil's trap. And number 13, it leads to apostasy. It leads to apostasy. It causes men to err and to go astray. That's why I tell you, be careful what you read. Be careful what you read. Just because it gives you the willies and you think this person is saying stuff that's really something, 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 you better be careful. And since God has given the believer a soul of understanding, then one wants to make sure that what one reads conforms to Scripture because Scripture is the authority. Don't ever let anybody fool you to think that James Egan believes he's your authority or that the Journey Church is. I'm not. It's the Scripture. That's the authority. I'm just the one that's been given to the local flock to teach it. No one else. Just me. So, let me then close with justification. With justification. Honor your father and mother. that your days may be long and good in the land. I've shown you what it means. I've shown you its greatest enemy is worldliness. I have shown you why worldliness is your enemy. And now I want to show you justification. Because this is what is so important. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved, not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by grace, through faith alone. This is the doctrine on which the entire church hinges. The church rises and it falls on this one passage. But for most of you, you believe that it is the faith that has saved you. And it is not. It is the instrument of the salvation. Faith is the instrument. Why? Because faith in itself is non-meritorious. Every one of you came in this room and sat down in a chair, you exercised non-meritorious faith. You came this morning believing you would hear a sermon. You exercised non-meritorious faith. Faith is an instrument, and that's all it is. When you go into the operating room to have something cut open, the scalpel is the instrument. But it is not the scalpel that does the work. It's the one that holds it. 
And you don't go into the operating room to have a cut put in you for the purpose of having a cut put in you. You go in there for a greater work that's done. So hear this. Faith, faith is the instrument is not is the instrument, but faith is not the cause. Why? Faith justifies not that it is accredited as righteousness to us for its faith's own work, but because it is an instrument by which we freely obtain the righteousness of Christ. That's, by the way, John Calvin. What does that mean? It is faith that God gives us that we obtain grace. And the very faith He gives us to obtain that grace is a grace in of itself. But it is not the same faith to put my key in the car and start it. This is a faith that is an otherworldly faith. This is a faith that comes from the Lord your God. This is a faith that come the grace and gift that comes from the one whom there shall be no idols. This is a faith that can only come from the one whose name cannot be taken in vain. This is the gift that comes from the one who is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The one whose day we keep and keep it holy. It's the one who is the superior of all superiors that is said that if I do what is right in His eyes for them, it is to His glory and my goodness. You can't work up a faith that will save you. It's impossible. And if it was not impossible, then no one could be saved because we would never know how to do it. How would we be different from the Buddhist or the Muslim or the agnostic or the chicken worshiper? How would we be any different? No, this, this is such a matter of life and death that the Apostle Paul, who was the zealot of zealots, the righteous of the righteous, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the PhD of PhD, the guy who knew the Old Testament in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and every which way, and says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. The faith is the gift of God, not your works, lest any man should boast. And the reason we know that the gift is not grace, it's the gift of faith because he compares it to work. And if you can work up your own faith and believe you're saved by it, then you believe you're saved by alien salvation. And it's impossible. You'll play, you will go around peddling the sinner's prayer and call it the gospel. Salvation has not been left to worldly men. It has been left to the infinite holy King of kings and Lord of lords working through the Holy Spirit in the power of the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so listen to this, justification. You say, what's this have to do with it? I close. Justification is not an infusion. Justification is not an infusion. That's what the Roman Catholics believe. Listen, when I say this in here, 
I guarantee you, if a Roman Catholic was listening to me and was in here and I said that, they'd say, you're darn right we do, so I'm not offending them. I want you to know that. To them, to them, it's an infusion. Justification is not an infusion. And I want, you to exp- I want you to listen to this. This has everything to do with this. You are not made righteous when you're saved. You're not made righteous because the Bible says righteousness has not been infused to you, it's been imputed to you. Let me tell you what that means. It means God declares you righteous in spite of the fact that you're not. Hallelujah. Now go back to the fifth commandment. How can I honor those that are superior to me? Because God has put them there. And I have an imputed righteousness. And so since God has put them there, I can impute to them the love, prayerfulness, thankfulness, and gratitude that I have received. While still a very sinful sinner, God has chosen to view me as saved and as pure as His Son. I have not been infused with it. I've been imputed. You say, James, are you a Calvinist? No, I'm an imputationist. I am an imputationist. You see, the the elect of God are not changed. Instead, God's view of them is changed. They are now considered the righteousness of Christ. That's what's been given to you. Now, you think about that. God looks down on seven billion people and He looks at you individually and He says, I have decided I'm going to give the kind of faith that is required to get grace and I'm going to give it to Truett when I decide to do it. And so God gives it to Truett and Truett is inwardly called, passively, he doesn't know about it. The born-again experience takes place. It becomes experiential. Then he becomes conscious of it. Then comes his consciousness and his conversion. It comes to his belief and his repentance. Both are saving graces. Belief, saving faith, and repentance are both saving graces. Not means of grace. Saving grace. They're the only two saving graces in Scripture. And so here's what happens. How is he then going to live the rest of his life? God looks down upon him and he doesn't see what you and I see. God has changed the way he views him because he has imputed to Truett the righteousness of Jesus, extranos, the alien righteousness. How do you think that would affect him when he hears sermons on the Ten Commandments? Does that want to make a man more worldly? Does that make a person want to go out and sin more? That in spite of knowing what I am and what I do, that God chooses and has chosen to permanently see me the way He has chosen to see me and did that as a gift of His own? You know what that does? It's called being born again. That's not saved. 
That's called being born again. So now same work. No, it's not. Not here, it's not. We study the Bible. We don't use cliches. That's born again. A whole new nature. The way God, a nature, in a whole new nature and relationship. This is how God looks at me. He sees His Son. Well, there's nothing in me to see His Son. No, there's not. But there's enough of God in you for Him to see it. And, he say, and he, you were born again. That'll change you. And so, thus faith is the gift. It is the instrument given by God to rest alone in Christ's righteousness. That's where the faith is. You say, all right, so what does the saving faith then look like? This is what it looks like. It's simply this. Saving faith simply says, I believe what God says and I'll stake my life on it. Now, if you believe what God says and you're going to stake your life on it, then how does that affect how you deal with the Ten Commandments? God said, you shall have no other gods before me. God said, you shall not take my name in vain. God said, you shall not worship or make idols. God said, you shall keep my day holy. You will hallow it one whole day for me, period. And God said, you honor those in authority. So which page of the Bible then can you say as a believer that's born again, do I have to follow or not? I don't think that's the question that a born-again person would ask. I think a born-again person would ask, Pastor, how can I do better? Help me. I showed you this morning, don't be worldly. Don't be worldly. Get your mind off this world. And set upon the one who gave his life for you. After all, this imputation was double. It's the greatest scripture to me. Doesn't make it the greatest scripture to you, but it's a greater scripture to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we who are sinners might become the righteousness of God. You know what that's called? Double imputation. Our sin was imputed to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. So this is what I say as I conclude. The Ten Commandments, as you see here, this Fifth Commandment teaches you how to honor those in in superiority to you, in authority over you, both in family, faith, and community. And so therefore, go and do likewise. You have been justified if you are in Christ Jesus having received the gift of faith and grace. Born again. Your life will know it because there I, am, I have become absolutely stalwartly convinced you cannot be born again and not know it. And neither can anyone else. Would you stand with your heads bowed?